so I, I don't know if everyone here is necessarily familiar with the whole idea of a fast as it's mentioned in the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about fasting and um, especially in the Old Testament, in the, um, it was a common part of their life. Um, the idea behind it is uh, in its simplest form, uh, people would give up uh, food for a certain amount of time. Um, but like Tom said, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Um, for instance, uh, a few months ago, we were doing a fast, and um, me personally, I can go a couple days with, without eating. I don't need to eat. I don't get hangry normally, okay? I have people in my life that if they're not eating, the hangry comes in. Me not, I don't, it's not that big of a deal, right? So for me to give up uh, eating really is, I'm getting off easy, and I'm like, no, it needs to be something that makes you aware of the loss, right? So for me, are you ready for this? Coffee. Uh-huh, yeah, right? Yeah, that hurt. That hurt. I'm, I'm, so, so again, a couple of uh, months ago, we're doing this fast, and a good friend of mine, um, you know, he hasn't done a lot of fasting, and he was fasting, and he was, I mean, he, he felt the hunger, you know, I was, I was cranky because I didn't have my coffee, but he was feeling the hunger and he's like, I'm just, I'm hungry and I'm thinking about food all the time. And my response to him was, then you're doing it right. That's the whole point. The whole point is to give up something so that you know there's something missing, right? I mean, the whole point is for us to, to learn the lesson that Jesus had to throw in the face of the devil. Man does not live by coffee alone, even though I think I could like stick an IV of the Java and I could run, right? You, you get the point? So, so maybe it is uh, food, maybe it is coffee, maybe it's, I don't know, chocolate, social media, turn your phone off. I don't know. I mean, you think about something that you would dearly miss. And the idea is when, when you feel that miss and you realize, man, I really miss that, whatever it is, it takes your thoughts up because you'll say, hey, I really miss whatever that is. And then you'll be reminded why you're doing it. Because we can say, oh, add so-and-so to the prayer list, add this and that. But, but I don't know about you, but I, I've wanted to pray for people before, but I'll maybe have good intentions, but then the day just gets nuts, anyone. And by the time the day is over, it's... You just, oh man, I really was supposed to pray for someone so when I missed it. Well, when you're fasting, you have a physical reminder saying, hey, by the way, hey, by the way, hey, by the way. So if you decide to join us in uh, picking a day to fast, uh, then that's wonderful. And again, like Tom said, you set the parameters. That's between you and the Lord. Um, please don't do anything that would uh, be unhealthy for you. Again, I, I say that because some people need to eat for medicine and things like that. Don't, don't put yourself in physical risk. That's not the point behind a fast. Uh, we, we don't want to make you an object of prayer after the fast, <laughs> okay? So, uh, but, but if you want to join us in it, you're more than welcome to. And again, in, your, in the middle of the fast, if you're saying, boy, I really wish I had or I really miss or all I can think about is that, then good news, you're doing it right, Okay. Um, on that note, um, at the end of our time here, when I'm, I'm done uh, yakking um, and uh, the Lord's done uh, speaking to us, at least in this setting, um, if there is something specific that you want um, the people that are going to be fasting, it's uh, 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 a specific you want them to pray about, I'm going to open up that time when uh, at the end of the service when I invite people to come down for prayer 
um, on concerns. If you have something you really want prayed for specifically, then you can come and bring that to me or to Tom, and we'll make sure that that is a source of, of prayer for the, the fasting of one of the days of this week. Does that make sense? I'm kind of free, free foreman here. So um, anyway, oh my. Let's pray, and, um, and then let's listen. Mm. Wonderful Lord, um, King, King, Lord, you are the King. Um, you are the King who did not use his kingship to lord over us, but instead you sent your Son, and Father, he came to serve, not to be served, and that blows our minds. It's so different from the way we operate. God, you are the king, and by, by that, your authority is absolute. And uh, Father, we've come here to listen to you. We've been invited into your throne room. You've invited us in to come and, and lay things down and to receive from you the greatest gifts. God, how amazing you are that you give us the amazing gifts. Father, we, we need to hear you now. You're speaking. Help us to hear you. Spirit, you, you're moving. Help us to move with you. Jesus, you're healing. Help us to receive that healing. Father, this place we dedicate to you, this time we dedicate to you, we give it to you. It's yours, it's not ours. Our plans, Father, of what this is supposed to look like, we lay those aside. This is yours, it's not ours. We, we just ask that, that you help us to hear you, that you give us the strength that we need, that you are our joy, Lord. You are our joy. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation and renew a steadfast spirit within us. It's who we wanna be, Lord. We wanna be people filled with joy. We wanna be a faithful, steadfast people. Ah, oh, Lord, you're so good to us. You are so good. We just praise you. God, that means we just are saying how amazing you are. We're saying that you are the source, that it's not us uh, doing things because we're so awesome. It's you because you're so awesome. We give you all the credit, Lord. Thank you. Father, ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts soft to your spirit. It's what we ask for in Jesus' name, amen. Something really cool happened this week. Um, I don't know if you are very aware of it. Some of you will be very aware because you, you really swim in these kind of circles. Others of us, um, the, I didn't get a lot of it on the media, not as much as I would have thought. Um, but something amazing happened to the state of Ohio this week. Anybody know? what Governor DeWine did, yeah. Governor DeWine signed the legislation passing the heartbeat bill. Yeah, which, you know what, I, we, we, if you're, so Lexington Church of Christ is like church everywhere, we're growing in 
you know, awesome ways and some of the ways we're growing is in some of the things that we do now that we didn't do when I first came here. And one of the things that we do now more and more is we clap a lot. And I want to just explain to everyone that when we're clapping, we're not clapping for anyone up here, that this is a clap offering to the Lord. It it's, makes sense. I mean, hey, we clapped when people do a good job. Why wouldn't we clap when God's, you know, and we're just overjoyed. So anyway, yeah, um, that's awesome. So the heartbeat bill, I don't know if you're too familiar with it or not. The idea is, is that once a heartbeat is detectable, uh, you know, then it is considered a life. So it is protected by rights. It's a huge step. It's a huge step. It really is. And understand, though, you understand what all the heartbeat bills are doing. That They're not really the end story of it. They're all to get pushed to the Supreme Court. So as we're praying for this issue of life in our country, um, be in prayer for it going up to that court. But, uh, but hear me on this, okay? There is no piece of legislation and there is no court of man, okay? This is God's territory. And, and it's been amazing as the church, as I've been a part of it, because I mean, I grew, I born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, right? I've been a privy to seeing the church's response to this horrible thing of abortion. And um, we've grown a lot. And I'm not uh, casting shade on the way the church has done things. But I remember in the 80s uh, when the big thing um, in the abortion um, issue was for churches to go and boycott and picket Planned Parenthood facilities and things like that. And, you know, it, it just didn't work. I don't know if you have the chance to look over history, but it just kept getting worse. Like by the time we're encroaching on the 90s, we're really losing the culture war in the abortion issue. We're, we're sliding back. Now what was amazing is God in his mercy, he's, the spirit says to the bride, hey, you gotta understand you're not just fighting for one life. And I think that small piece of knowledge was the thing that changed everything. That we're not just fighting for one life. We're fighting for two lives. And what I love about the the um, crisis uh, pregnancy center uh, that we, I'm, I can't, I'm spacing on the name. Thank you. Gah. What I love about that is they've realized we're not just fighting for one life. We're not just fighting for two lives. But guess what, folks? We're fighting for three lives because it's not just the baby. It's the mother. And it's not just the baby and the mom. Hey, guess what, folks? There's a dad there someplace, Right? And we need to reach out to all of them. Now, what's been amazing is when the church adopted this mindset that, no, we're going to fight for all three lives. Now things are changing the other way. We are seeing a movement in our country that is absolutely dumbfounding to me because it's not necessarily stopping with the churches. It's not necessarily stopping with people that are religious I mean, it is the young generation that is waking up and saying, guys, this is nuts. This is nuts by any scientific means. This is nuts by any moral means. This is just plain nuts, and it's got to stop. And what we're seeing is a big push towards life. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's awesome when we got to the understanding that, you know what, when you have a young girl or a woman going into a place to receive an abortion, it's not because she planned it. It's not because that's what she wanted. 
In other words, she had expectations and they got, they got destroyed. And she's doing the best she can to recoup that. Now, here's the thing. Anybody here have expectations for their life and your life didn't turn out that way? You know what? There's a bridge right there. And so the days when we said, honey, you know what? You're hurting. Let me hurt with you. The days when we were Christ and rather than condemning the woman at the well, we said, hey, guess what? We've got water. We've got, we've got a healing water. We've got a water that's greater than all the disappointment in your life. Folks, things have changed and are changing. That's what we're called to do. I think that's one of the greatest powers that we have as children, as the sons and daughters of God. We have the ability, are you ready with me on this? To relate to people in their pain and in their suffering. Rather than saying, I don't understand that at all, we have the ability to say, well, I may not understand with the specifics, but I know what it's like to hurt. Now, we need to take that idea in the life issue and translate it to every other issue. Folks, I get it. The LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ thing, I could easily say, I don't understand that. Or I could say, I know what it's like to be broken. I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to feel like you don't even know who you are. You with me on that? We have an ability that God became flesh so that he could have. Think about that. Let that cook your noodle for a while. God chose suffering and pain as the avenue to bind us to him. God understands. He was tempted in every way. He understands what that's like. Now, he was without sin. He never gave in, right? Praise God for our spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. But he knows. He understands. He can relate. He can relate. He felt all the shame. He felt all the sin. He felt all the brokenness on that cross. And he said, it's null and void in my blood. But hear me on this. Because this is the thing that kills us. It's killing the world and it's, it's killing the church. Expectations. Expectations. I used to uh, uh, give premarital counseling and we'd go through um, issues that would come up in marriage and we'd talk about conflict resolution and one of the big ones that we would always talk about is we'd have a whole like separate segment on money. Just as a, I've got a little bit of time, just as a note, I don't do premarital counseling like I used to. I used to have like this big thing in several weeks and, and uh, the Smiths remember my premarital counseling. Remember when we turned the chairs around? That was just embarrassing. Anyway, um, <laughs> So I would have all these things. Yes, it was. Anyway, uh, and then I realized, because I saw, you know, hey, what was my premarital counseling like? And you know what I remembered about my premarital counseling? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And, and Harvey Backus, the guy that uh, was with Barbie, and I, I mean, he was great. I know he had good stuff to say. I don't remember anything. So my, my premarital counseling has thinned down a lot to just some key points, you know. 
Uh, but I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm really digressing here. We would talk about money and finances. And I tell the people when they come in, you know, you want to talk about stuff, we will talk about whatever you want. This is good free stuff, but I want it to help you and not just be me yakking stuff at you that you're not going to remember. But so finances is a big one that people want to talk about. Why? Because one of the biggest issues and areas of conflict in a marriage is money, right? But hear me on this. It's not really money. It's not really money. It's not really money, and here's why. Because when there's plenty of it, it's not an issue, okay? The issue is not, you know, when there's a lot of money. The only, it's an, only an issue when there's a lack of money. So what I know about that is the issue is not really money. The issue is you have two different people with two different sets of what? Expectations. And when those expectations aren't met, where, where's my slides? There we go. I was, yeah. There we go. Thanks, thanks, Andrew, my man. When those expectations aren't met, you know this, you know, any good counselor will tell you that the distance between expectation and reality is frustration, okay? So I have an expectation that when I go to McDonald's and I say, give me a quarter pounder with cheese, no onions, and I go through the drive-thru, because it's the drive-thru, and then I take that first bite, and what do I taste? Those nasty onions, okay? So here was my expectation. Here was the reality. The issue is kind of a small one, so my frustration isn't that big. But when you have an expectation, especially for a person, and that expectation isn't met, then there's frustration, there's disappointment, and it can kill, and it can crush. Let's, let's look at that passage there, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. It's Palm Sunday, so of course we're going to look at this wonderful passage, but I'm amazed as we've been thinking and continue to think about these twin devils of bitterness and disappointment and, and the twin realities for the sons and daughters of God, delight and anticipation, right? When we look at these things, I'm amazed that as we look at the triumphal entry, well, let, let, let's go through the text and we'll talk about it. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you. Gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's a reason for this. I mean, it's, it's not just out of the blue that Jesus would say uh, it needs to be a donkey. And it's not just out of the blue that Zechariah, when he was prophesying, the Holy Spirit was speaking through him, said, no, God's going to come, the Messiah's going to come on a donkey. It's very specific. In the ancient Near Eastern cultures, when people rode into a city, when a king rode into a city, there were numerous ways that he could ride in. Okay? Sometimes he would ride in on a war horse to conquer. If it's a hostile city, he'd get on that war horse surrounded by his troops and his armor and, well, it would, it would look like what you think, an enemy coming in to occupy the city. 
he might ride in as a conqueror on a war horse. Maybe he would ride in like the Romans would do on a white horse as one who's already conquered and wants to flash, here is what I have done. But this is very specific. A donkey is very specific because a donkey represents that the person riding on it does not need to fear the people in the city. Does that make sense? He doesn't need to be protected, surrounded by a bunch of troops. He doesn't need to ride on a white giant stallion or a chariot carried by war horses. He doesn't need to flaunt who he is. We have ancient Near Eastern documents of a specific Babylonian emperor, king, who was asking his advisors, how should I enter this city to know that I love him? And and the guy says, ride on a donkey, not as a conqueror, but as a donkey to let them know that, hey, that's your city, that's your town, Right? You know, it's like the, it's, it's like, well, I, I think I used this once before. Everybody remember when uh, Cleveland um, won that basketball thing that they did? Anybody remember that? My good friend Kevin was in Cleveland when that happened. And what was awesome about Cleveland is the city itself was completely unprepared for it because they never win anything. <laughs> No, I'm serious. They were completely unprepared. Other cities, they have it down. You know, this is how you do it. And, and so Cleveland, the city uh, planners, they had it. You know, it's going to take this long to get from here to here, uh, you know, from the, where the team's going to land in the airport, and they're going to drive through the city, and they'll get here. It took them four times as long because people were just flooding in the streets, and they were high-fiving everybody. Honestly, it's the way it should be. You know, these cities that win all the time, that's just... You know, come on. But Cleveland, they got something. They got a taste. They got a lick. And, and Kevin said, you know, it was intoxicating to be in that crowd. It was like everyone was your brother and your sister. He loved it. You know, it was just, it was amazing. And, and people are going up to the cars and it was just, and those guys didn't need to worry about a thing. They didn't need security because you know what? That was their town and everyone was so glad to see him. So when Jesus is riding in on a donkey, he's not riding into a hostile city. He's not riding into a city that he's riding into a place of people that have been longing to see him for a long time. This is what they've been waiting for. They heard Messiah was coming. They heard Messiah was coming. The the problem's not in the cult. The problem's not in the way Jesus rode in. The problem's in the way they received him. Uh, You'll get it in a second. Hang on. The disciples went and did what Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the roads. The crowds that went out ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. That word, Hosanna, Lord, save us. originally in the Old Testament, it's a cry of the human heart, the cry of the human heart. But but as you get to the Psalms and as it changes, Hosanna becomes almost a declaration, not Lord, will you save, but Lord, you are, Lord, you have saved. So Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. 
Now, the, the issue isn't Jesus coming in and the way he came in. The issue is the way they received. Because I'm just like the crowds here. I'll receive the Lord. Yay, God. TJ, you need forgiven? Right here, baby. I need forgiven. TJ, you need healing? I'm your man. Right here, need that healing. TJ, do, do you need help in life? Do you need someone who's gonna stand with you? Do you need a friend that's never gonna let you down? Do you need power for daily living? Right here, baby. TJ, do you need a Lord? Well, what do you mean by that? Do you mean this ephemeral Lord that, you know, I can come to church on various times and, and give some money and, and obey a set of rules, that kind of Lord? TJ, do you need a Lord? Well, that, that's when it... Well, you know what? Let me tell you the kind of Lord I need. Uh, did, you, did you catch the whole... I mean, what, what's this Sunday called? It's called what Sunday? Palm Sunday, because they cut tree branches and they threw them down, right? They threw them in front. Now, what's interesting, and, and Josh actually found this for me, there's a reference to this in the intertestamental period, the Maccabees, right? You had the Greeks that were oppressing the Hebrew people. Awful stuff. Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, bad fella here, right? And so the Jews rose up and, and God blessed them and led them to victory over the Greeks. And Simon, one of the leaders, went into Jerusalem and they welcomed him with palm branches. And they waved palm branches at Simon because Simon was the great liberator. Simon was the one who liberated them from the enemy. He was the conquering hero. He was the hometown boy. No, no need to fear for Simon. They were all welcoming him, but he's exactly what they expected, exactly what they wanted, and they welcomed him likewise. Now, fast forward to Jesus. What was the expectation for the Messiah now? What was the expectation? Jesus, you've come. Guess what? Simon kicked out the Greeks. You can take out the Romans, right? You can kick out our oppressors. And, and you know what? We've kind of got a laundry list of people that need to go. Anybody got a laundry? I'm like Nixon. I got me a... None of you are getting that because, you know, some of you are old enough, you get it. Okay, thank you, John, right? I got my blacklist. I got my hit list. You know, Jesus, we got a lot of people, right, that we need to work through. They're waving these palm branches because that's the Messiah they wanted. But by the end of the week, by Good Friday, what are they saying? It switches from Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. Because you know what, God? You're not the God that I wanted. You've turned out to be somebody else. That, that hurts. That hurts. Because I, I relate to him. I relate to bitterness. Bitterness and I'm just going to be honest, bitterness specifically against God. I relate to that. I hate it. It's an ugly thing. But for me to say, God, you have not been the God that I wanted. You're not the God I thought you were. That's a crisis point in our faith. It's a place where God has to take each and every one of us to a place where we have to answer, do you want a healer? A friend or a Lord? 
we're tempted to love God when things are good and to get angry when things don't go our way. It's honestly all in this text and the references given here. I love this quote by Bill Johnson. He's a preacher I listen to. He's kind of out there, but I love him. Complaining proves nothing but that you can hear the voice of the devil. (laughs) I like it. When you go back to Zechariah, the ninth chapter, turn, go ahead in your Bibles, turn there. Zechariah chapter nine. This passage that was read earlier, it's cited here in Matthew. Your, your savior comes gentle, righteous, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. I love this passage, though, because it goes on, and it says in verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations, and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. But as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pits. So, and I I have this in my Bible, return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. God is saying to Israel here, you guys were not made to be prisoners of waterless pits. I love the visual imagery. I love it in the Old Testament when it gives us good visual imagery. You think of a person uh, sitting in this pit, you know, that's supposed to carry water. There's supposed to be some redeeming factor to it, but it's just dry. There's nothing there. God says, you guys are not prisoners of a waterless pit. You're prisoners of hope. You have to hope. You can't help it. Anybody ever been in a place in their life where holding on to hope was just, I mean, you you barely could do it? You felt like you had to grasp at straws. I want to say, one of the amazing things about our God is how gentle and wonderful he is. Because on any given Sunday or any given time, when you're part of a tribe, when you're clinging to hope and you're white knuckling it and you think you're going to let go, you can reach out to a brother and sister. Okay? I mean, that's one of the things we are designed to do as those made in the image of God. We are designed that, hey, if you, have, if you need hope and I have it, let me give you some. Because you know what? There's probably gonna be a day when I'm losing hope and you'll have it and you can give it to me. That's how God works. It's a beautiful thing about the body. But understand, we were made to be wellsprings of hope. Wellsprings of hope. Hope should be our default position. You can't do anything but hope. And this isn't some Pollyanna, always look on the bright side, glasses half full kind of hope. It's much crazier than that. Our glass is never half full. It's always overflowing. Now, whether we see it or not is a different issue. Whether we choose to understand the truth of it or not, that's the issue. That's what we're struggling for. We live in a victory reality. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the king of Jerusalem. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the savior of Jerusalem. The people just couldn't see it. They chose to see a different God. 
They chose to see a different savior, a different Messiah. Folks, that will kill your faith. That will kill you. Laying down the way we think God is is a place in our faith that has to happen. Because if not, then you will just have an idol. You'll just have an idol. God is so good, he will do everything he can to tear down the idols in your life. That's, that's what makes God so amazing. He will use the bad things to bring out amazing good things. You realize that the, most of the New Testament is kind of that principle when you think about it. I mean, you, you think about it, most of the letters that Paul wrote, he wasn't writing to churches uh, to congratulate them on the good job that they were doing. Right? You with me on this? Galatians, Ephesians, First and Second Corinthians. There were problems in the church. There were issues in the church. Isn't it amazing that God could take, like, I mean, the church in Corinth, man, it really should be named Jerry Springer. You know, I'm serious. Really got to figure out a bigger, because that's so old now, right, that TV show. Anyway, no one's going to get it. But, I mean, super dysfunctional church. God takes that dysfunctional church, Paul pens a letter, and that is some of the most beautiful writing in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15 is a passage of hope in the resurrection. Where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, hell is your sting. God takes the bad and he makes great things. That's our hope. But we have to let him do that. We have to let him do that. Zachariah says, you were not prisoners of a waterless pit. You're prisoners of hope. And then he says, you know what? God is saying, God says here, I'm gonna give you back double what was taken. Did you see that in there? Even now I announce, I will restore twice as much to you. Do you believe that though? It's easier to believe that when you're young, when you kind of see a future ahead of yourself and you say, you know what? God can really do good things with my future. The older you get, sometimes the harder it is to think that God can actually take our life and restore twice as much as what was taken, twice as much as what we gave away. Because I'm, I'm just gonna be honest with you, okay? I, I like to, I love what Adam said. Good job, Adam, on your communion meditation there especially the sulk part. Because when you said sulk, that resonated with me because I'm a big sulker. I'd like to tell you that, oh, life's been so hard to me and it's so cruel and blah, 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 blah. You know, but I love what Deb said when she came down for praise. I look around and people are a whole lot worse off. The reality is I've got it kind of nice. The reality is most of the things that I don't have are not because I wasn't given, but because I gave away. Hmm. In fact, in fact, most of the problems of my life is, are you ready for this? I expect too much from others and not enough from God. I expect too much from others and not enough from God. Do I expect that in Jesus Christ, God is going to restore twice as much as was taken 
you know what? Let's, let's declare that over each other. Let's do something fun, right? I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, God is going to restore twice as much to you. See? So you can do that now. <laughs> Make sure everybody gets it said over them, okay? If you have to go to your neighbor on either side, that's fine. Doesn't that feel good? There's something about the spoken word. I'm starting to understand the power in that. Now, we can say it with our mouths. We can declare it. That's step one. But, but that's a step in getting it down here. Imagine how different my life would be, my demeanor would be, if I walked around a prisoner of hope. If I walked around thinking, anticipating, expecting from God, not expecting the way I think things should go, that's, that's like a false expectation, but expecting that God really has good things for me, that God is doing good things all around, that every good thing, you realize that? How far do you take, I guess, let's just be honest, I'm just confess here, I'm not sure how far to really take God sometimes, his word anyway right? Because his word says every good and perfect thing comes from the Father. And I usually spiritualize that. Forgiveness, yes. Salvation, yes. Healing for the broken relationships and the pieces of my life, yes. And I need that. But does it work for steak? Anybody ever had a good and perfect steak? I hope you've had at least one in your life. I had it. I had it. It was we. I was. I were. I was in Nebraska, and I won't go into the details. But I mean, you could cut this thing with a fork. It's when I realized how amazing. Just salt and pepper. You wouldn't get a one. Get away. You know, because the flavor. And you know, I used to eat everything well done. Oh no, baby, like medium rare. You know, and I realize it's not every. Is every good and perfect? Is that a gift from God? So, so getting up in the morning, taking a breath, you know? <laughs> I don't want to get vulgar, but, but I mean, think, think about just, the, but I'm going to just for a second. I, I knew a guy that when he would go to the bathroom and it didn't hurt, <laughs> hey, hey, you take it for granted. Some of you out there know what I'm talking about. You take it for granted until you don't have, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. How far do we take that? When I was writing the sermon, I was thinking about gratitude, and I was thinking, you know, it's like the Spirit was saying, TJ, be grateful for the people in your life. Oh, Lord, I have amazing kids. I have a wonderful wife. I have, I have friends and family. And he said, be, care, be grateful for the people in your life. Uh, I've got a wonderful tribe here, uh, brothers and sisters to stand alongside me. And he said, be grateful for the people in your life. And I just kept thinking, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. It's kind of when Jesus was asking Peter, you know, do you love me? I love you, do you love me? I love you, come on, Lord, you're killing me. 
Because then I stopped thinking about all the good folks in my life. And I started thinking about the ones that make the list. And he said, be grateful for the people in your life. That's not as easy. Lord, how, 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 do you, how am I supposed to be grateful for a person that has hurt me so deeply? How am I supposed to be grateful for a person that has hurt those I love so deeply? I, I, I struggled. You know, I'm trying to think of how, how are you grateful for some, some of the worst people in your life? But then I realized God made them. They're made in his image. If they're alive, then there is a potential in them to be something amazing. You know, God, God says, we don't give up on anybody, right? These are his paraphrased words. We're not allowed to give up on somebody. We don't judge them after they're gone and we don't give up on them after we're here. This is all in his hands. What do we do? We go and we love. And part of that love, I think, has to be ground in just being grateful. God, thank you for making them because there is a potential in them that is far beyond anything I could imagine. And the reality is, God, you've taken my life and the broken pieces and you're making something good. So if you can do that in me, I know you can do it in them. Oswald Chambers wrote a very famous devotional called My Utmost for His Highest and I've read it several times through and it's all good, but there's one part of one devotional that has always burned itself in my brain and it goes something like this. The only reason a son or a daughter of God would give up on another person is because they've never experienced salvation themselves. In other words, if I look at a person and I say they're irredeemable, it's because I have not experienced redemption. Expectations. What are your expectations for God? I wonder. Hmm. Hmm. We're going to pray. And it's a time, like I said before, if you want to come down for specific things that you want fasted over, you can come meet me or Tom. We'll take a list. We'll make sure they get prayed for. If you come down and you're feeling like a prisoner of that waterless pit and you need to be a prisoner of hope, then guess what? Guess what? You were made for an overflowing cup. That's the truth of your life. You just want someone to bless you and say you're not alone. That's this time as well. But we're getting ready for one of the greatest times in the calendar year, a time that is 100% focused on Jesus Christ. It's a great time to look in your heart and say, God, have I made you something you're not? Have I said, I'm gonna welcome you into the city, but it's on my terms. If you don't meet my expectations, guess what, folks? Lay those expectations down. I look at the God that I thought he was, and I look at the God that he is teaching me he is. And I'm telling you, this one's so much better. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father God, God, thank you for doing the hard things in my life. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you, God, that you continuously tear down the, the 
false idols that I put up in my heart of you, that you're a, a God that just fixes everything, that you're a God that demands that I act a certain way or meet a certain expectation, that you're a God that says I can do whatever I want. Lord, none of those are you. You're so much greater, Father. Thank you for teaching me that. Thank you for, for teaching me that your mercies are new every day. Thank you for teaching me that you are my song, Lord. Thank you for teaching us, the tribe, to raise hallelujahs in the middle of our storms. God, that's what we're called to be, strong prisoners of hope. Lord, I, I thank you for this week. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your son that would come and say, I want to be part of your pain. I want to be part of your suffering. I want to understand and know you. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Lord, I, I, bless, I bless this tribe in your name, this tribe that you continue to grow, that you continue to lead. God, I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters. And Lord, you are amazing. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, in the name of our King, in the name of our Lord, in the name of everything, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, church, go in peace.